0: Welcome to Workforce RX with Futuro Health, where future-focused leaders in education, workforce development, and healthcare explore new innovations and approaches. I'm your host, Vontone Quinlevin, CEO of Futuro Health. Today, I'm delighted to welcome an award-winning academic, human rights advocate, global health hero, and I'm proud to say, Futuro Health partner, Dr. Kamir Alai. Dr. Alai has too many credentials to list, but I can summarize by saying he has earned degrees from Harvard University, the University at Oxford, and top universities in Iran, and has held academic appointments at the State University of New York, Drexel University, and Oxford. His work has focused on HIV-AIDS as well as health disparities, the linkage between health and human rights law, and health diplomacy in the Middle East. What amazes me is how many countries he touches in the work that he does. And his day job is being Department Chair of Health Sciences at California State University, Long Beach. Futuro Health is working with his university to grow the public health IT workforce thanks to a federal grant. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Kamiya.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Kamiar, as someone who has received the Civic Steward Leader Award for California, I immediately sense the civic stewardship in you. So tell our audience what came to shape you and your worldviews.
1: So that's a wonderful question. You know, when I grew up in Iran, as you know, there are a lot of people who were affected by the society due to social isolation and the stigma and also some of the human rights violations. So that motivated me how I can better serve them. And one of the key elements was when I was studying at the medical school, I realized people dealing with HIV AIDS, their right was violated. And that was my main motivation to establish the first HIV programs in the Middle East in Iran, which was documented by the World Health Organization as the best practice in the world. And the first study I conducted was to see what is the main cause of mortality And my uh, initial thought was maybe it's due to opportunistic infection, due to lack of access to medication. But surprisingly, 58% was due to suicide, due to social isolation. So I realized more than medication, they need social support. They need psychological support. And that was how I started the initiative.
0: Thank you for sharing um, your insights and what the work that you had done there. Now, tell us about your journey into healthcare and how you managed to have a global impact, Kamir.
1: So, this is very important. You know, when I was working on HIV AIDS, it's a really global concern. And that was my motivation. When I started the program in Elon, I realized there are a lot of border countries that they have a similar culture and language and they are facing the same challenge. And that was my motivation to scale it up. And we had visitors, more than 50 countries, they came and visited us, and I went to more than 40 countries to present our activities and build up more partnership and collaboration. And that was the motivation. We scaled up in the Middle East, North Africa, Central Asia, and later in Pan American Health Organization, collaboration with PAHO, which is part of WHO. And then over the few years, we realized there are other pandemics, like hepatitis among others, which I was working on recently on COVID, which over the past two and a half years we realized how it's very essential. If one country doesn't do their job, all the global will get affected, and how it's very important to work together. And at the same time, we realize who are the most vulnerable population and how we can make sure to protect their rights and to promote the access to services at the right and manners. And this is what we saw today. There are a lot of minorities that they are have less access to COVID testing, COVID vaccination and medication, among others, and shows us how it's very important to revisit what we have done over the past few decades to make sure we reduce the gap.
0: Tamir, uh, many of our listeners are in the world of workforce, and workforce tends to be a team sport. So when you talk about collaborations and partnerships, especially even crossing uh, national uh, borders, could you give some insights on how you even begin figuring out who to work with? And are there any tips that you would provide You know, based on your collective knowledge?
1: Yeah, this is a very important thing. When we talk about workforce, is who is our audience? Is the public or private sector, the non-for-profit among others? And what are the desired skills and competencies they are looking for? And we have to develop our trainings, we have to develop our educational packages based on the current and future needs rather than what was the past, particularly in public health. You see in the industries, you see in engineering, they are very up to date, they are very linked to their skills. And because they are desired to get those skills ready to go to the job. But for public health, it was not very clearly defined. In the medical school, is defined. You know, I went to the medical in the training. I developed a lot of training for doctors. It's very clear what kind of competencies and the skills they need to get. But for public health, it's got a little weight. And this is a time to go back and revisit. Because the lesson we learned from COVID-19 was really we were not ready for those emergency. And now it's time to work with those targeted organizations and revisit our curriculum and revisit educational packages based on the need assessment and it should be ongoing. And also encourage the right audience to come to these programs and define what public health means and get a new pipeline of students that they're eager To serve the community and to promote public health in a bigger uh, definition and I think this is our responsibility. So from one side to engage those organizations, from the other side to revisit the academic institutions in the curriculum development and also to motivate a new uh, generation of students who will be the future leaders in public health.
0: Well we are doing some very creative work with you to grow the public health IT workforce here in California. And of course, once that infrastructure is set up, it's applicable to the rest of the country. Um, I would love for you to give a little bit of detail on what the workforce issue is that we're tackling together. And uh, I just want to give praise to the curricular redesign that you're undertaking. And audience, please know that This involves collaboration between several four-year systems. So in California, we have the University of California system. Uh, We have the California State University system. We have the community college system. And so what is brilliant about this model is that the curricular design is transcending all three systems in order to move students through from certificate to uh, degrees. I would love for you to share how you're approaching this and what the workforce issue is that is being um, addressed.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, as you know, based on COVID, for the past two and a half years, the main challenge was how we can have a timely decision-making based on a evidence-based inputs from all the data regarding testing, regarding hospitalization, regarding you know tracking, tracing, among others, and definitely informatics is very essential and also technology and how we can link all of those data together and making very timely, you know, fashion decision making. So that was the motivation that we were, you know, working together, as you mentioned, different layers, public and private sectors, working together, non-for-profit get engaged, different academic institution, as you listed them, that for the first time they are working together and instead of putting some existing courses and offering to students, we made a year effort and go back and develop a survey and based on the survey, reach out to different audiences to identify what are the desired competencies and based on the current challenges that they are facing, they are looking forward to hire a new you know, staff in the future. Also, we did data mining and looking at more than like you know, 500 job which were posted and in the internet and see what are the list of skills and competencies that they are looking for and compiled all of those inputs and then we came up with different modules and and we came up with different courses and to make it more consistent we defined as a different levels of certificate as associate degree certificate undergraduate certificate and graduate certificate So it will be more all connected, not to just have like a scatter of different courses. So by this way, we make sure they get all of those skills and trainings to be concluded by paid internship in a desired organization that they are eager to collaborate. And I think this was very essential. You know, there were some other awardees. They just used existing courses, but we made a lot of efforts, which for the future, I think it will be the gold standard, how we can develop those training based on the current and future needs, because the need we have today is not the need we have four years from now.
0: Maybe you can comment a little bit about how students will transition between their certificate program uh, gain at community colleges into the degree-bearing programs.
1: Sure. We have different packages. We have uh, not for credit. We have non-credit and full-credit and tying to, you know, Futura Health for taking the lead for you know, not-for-credit it's very essential. We have a broader reach, so to be more inclusive that everybody is welcome to apply for that. And then over the time, if they decide to make it for credit, we have a weight as a kind of practical learning assessment to see you know, what are those expenses that they have had and what are those not-for-credit courses that they took to make it equivalency of four credits and also for those who are in associate that they are seeking to get undergrad, there's a way that they have opportunity to transfer. So we made all of these interconnected and that's the beauty that the students from everywhere in the California, they can take any courses from the community colleges for free and then they can take you know, additional courses at respective you know, institution at the Cal State universities or UC Berkeley among others.
0: The concept that Kamiya has laid out is really the concept of stackable credentials so that adults don't have to start from scratch each time they go to the next institution. And it is so innovative and it's it takes so much leadership. I just wanted to share that we were speaking to someone uh, who leads a big division at HERSA at the federal level. And she's so interested in this model that she's inviting us to go talk, uh, both of us to go talk to her senior staff and share what can be done. Um, And I also mentioned to the Colorado governor's office that this can be done. And so uh, there's so much interest in how to move students through a cost systems, because sometimes the workforce need is at the certificate level. Sometimes it's at the associate's level. Sometimes it is at the bachelor level and then beyond. Right. And then again, education is not just one time you have to go back and upgrade constantly. So everyone's looking at how do we design this so that adults can actually move through education and and keep on reacquiring education. So Kami, in your day job, you are department chair of health science at California State University, um, Long Beach. And I was wondering if you can share your approach to working with students who are interested in the health professions, and what do you think they need to be learning in this challenging time for public health?
1: it's very important how we can inspire them and motivate them and show them the bigger picture because the public health from one side it gets confused with other health sciences and you know a lot of people maybe they wanted to go to medical field which is great but definitely they don't know what public health can help them and there are a lot of doctors also they have public health credentials or working public health department. As we know, there are a lot of directors of the Department of Public Health who are doctors or other medical providers. So this is what, you know, in our department, we try to provide those information. We created a new course introduction to public health to get them exposed at the beginning before they take other courses. And also we develop a lot of new concentrations to give them different choices like we have a health policy advocacy concentration, we have health minority concentration. It will be the first time I think, upon my knowledge, that they get different courses like African American health, Asian American health, Latino health, which they can get all of those individual courses and get a concentration on minority health. And also we have mental health concentration as a new concentration, and then we have you know, pre-health Professionals for those who wanted to pursue in the clinical field, and also we have been working with some of the you know other institutions to pursue Doctor of Public Health for the first time ever in the history of CSU that we can offer a terminal degree in public health, which will be another motivation. Say, okay, if you come to this track, you can earn until the the terminal degree, and all will be applied, and we share with them the case studies because those cases studies make it more tangible. What is the challenge? And how the leadership and you know, uh, innovative ideas can bring new ideas to solve the major problems. And instead of just seeing patients and doctors individually, you can have an impact to thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions. This is what we learned from COVID.
0: Well, one of the experience that Kamiya tackled in building up his experience to take on the public health workforce, was his role in educating doctors in the war-torn country of Syria. Now we have a shortage of doctors here in the United States, so I would love for you to share more of how this was possible so that we can learn some lessons to apply here in the United States.
1: Sure, as you know, there was a conflict in Syria, unfortunately, over like 500,000, they got killed. And we were informed a few years ago 90% of doctors, they left, and the remaining, they were just uh, in a shortage, a significant shortage. And also there were medical students that the university was completely destroyed. So that was a time for us. We had a conversation with them to do, we did some need assessment in collaboration with some of the faculties to see what are those courses which are, in need. And then we uh, developed those courses, we developed online programs for 525 medical students. And at the same time, because they, they couldn't speak in English, we provided you know uh, English training programs to make them ready for the future, because there are a lot of courses available, but, and they are free, but they are in English, not in Arabic. And at the same time, the challenge was that they were internally displaced. And as you know, there are a lot of U.N. mandates for refugees that they are in other countries, but there's nothing for internally displaced that they are living within that country, which made additional layer of, you know, uh, challenges. How we can deliver those education online? We did survey, we realized uh, 90% of them, they had no computers. So then how we can deliver that? Fortunately, more than 70% they had smartphone. So we collaborated with the uh, Department of Computer Science. We developed an app, an application, that we were able to deliver those you know, online education. And they were very committed, and they very engaged. And we were able you know, to help them and provide more mentorship and get them engaged. We had some female students. They say traditionally, we had to go to the school, but we had to have our brothers to your bodyguard, and when we went to the schools, we were separated, boys one side, girls the other side. We couldn't communicate, but through this online platform, we are able to communicate. There's no physical distance to go there, and we are very excited about that. So, and fortunately, you know, last year, a lot of them, they graduated from the medical school, and they are ready to take a lot of medical services, which was in need.
0: Your story is very inspiring for this audience to understand what is possible. I, all the obstacles that, that were in the way, and yet you were able to effectively navigate them. so congratulations. Thank you. Our listeners are undoubtedly getting a sense of your courageous leadership, uh, whether you're busting through different systems in order to create a doctoral program that is a first or you know working across barriers to tackle public health challenges. So give us some additional glimpse to the courage that you've had to display. I'm sure that there's a moment where it was a, a sort of a scary issue that for you to tackle. And I wonder if you can share what that, that situation was and how you went about it.
1: Sure. As you know, I have been working on HIV-AIDS in the Middle East, in Iran, which was more conservative. You know, And when we work on specific health concerns, including you know, HIV AIDS, we're working with key population, including LGBTIQs, prisoners, injection drug users, sex workers, among others. So there was some resistance by you know, some stakeholders. They asked us, we heard you wanted to work with sex workers. So we tried to reduce sensitivity by rephrasing that we wanted to work with vulnerable women. Say, okay, vulnerable women, no problem. And when they pursue, instead of touching the more sensitive issues, we start with less sensitive issues that, okay, we wanted to protect new babies not to get HIV AIDS. You know, saving one life equals saving everyone's life. So there's no religion against that. Say, okay, that's fine. Protect new babies not to get HIV AIDS. Then we say, if we want to protect new babies, we have to protect mothers. It's a prevention of mother-to-child transmission. Say, okay, no problem, mother-to-child. Then over a year, we said, if you want to protect mother, we have to protect father. So by using condom as one of the ways of prevention, they said, okay, using condoms, educating condoms, that's fine. And then over the time, we reach out to other more sensitive topics. And the other things we use, is, we try to identify some of those cultural approaches or religious approaches that they can open the door for example in iran or in islam drinking alcohol is prohibited but if you are in a desert and you cannot find water you can drink alcohol to save your life so which means between bad which was alcohol and worse which was to die bad is better so we use the same argument to talk about harm reduction reduction of drug-related harms using like needle exchange programs methadone maintenance programs, talking about condom. So they define this is bad, but to save life, which was worse. So this was a way of, I call it how you dance with partners. We try to dance with them to find a ways. I call it as a river strategy. In their nature is no river goes straight, but it goes and changes ways, but the more it goes, get the stronger. So we try to be more flexible, but be consistent. So by this way, we were able to engage a lot of those who were initially against the initiative to be more supportive.
0: I appreciate that story about dancing with partners and how to go about solving problems creatively and making use of the cultural context as a way to design the solution. So let's close by inviting you, Kamir, to share with us what's ahead for you and your work and what excites you most about the work ahead.
1: Yes, I think the, the, the key for us is health is very interdisciplinary. So how we can engage different faculties from different disciplines to work together, which is what we have been doing, as you know for this current glance of public health, informatics, and technology, but we wanted to scale it up. So we have been working to establish a new school of population and public health, which will be interdisciplinary, that we have faculties from different departments, from computer science, biomedical science, information system, healthcare, among others, that they will join us. So we will start that with two departments initially, but we will hopefully hopeful to get more affiliated faculties from different campuses and also engage public and private sectors and bring more interdisciplinary education programs, more interdisciplinary research, but should be applied research and engage and attract more interdisciplinary motivated students to make the future a better future for all of us.
0: Well, certainly the future will be a better future. So thank you for your leadership, you know, pittoral health. Is so proud to be in partnership with you. You have vision, you have a big heart, and you have the practical uh, mindset to solve very difficult challenges, and that makes you a perfect partner uh, for Futura Health. So thank you.
1: Thank you very much. I'm so honored and delighted to be, you know, part of this initiative, and I want to thank Futura Health and your leadership, your visionary leadership. And I think this is very important. How you take all of those efforts to show the, you know, the shared social responsibility that all of us we have and this is beyond our day job
0: well thank you again for being with us today Kamir. I'm Vantone Quinlevin with Futuro Health thanks for checking out this episode of Workforce Rx I hope you will join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future focused workforce in America